Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions. Brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality. Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you, the listener, clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we discuss the process of decision-making on a different topic from the business owner's or executive's perspective. We aren't necessarily telling you what to do, but we can put you in a position to make an informed decision on your own and understand when you might need help along the way. My name is Mike Blake, and I'm your host for today's program. I'm a director at Brady Ware & Company, a full-service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Indiana, and Alpharetta, Georgia. Brady Ware is sponsoring this podcast, which is being recorded in Atlanta for social distancing protocols. If you would like to engage with me on social media with my chart of the day and other content, I'm on LinkedIn as myself and at Unblakeable on Facebook, Twitter, Clubhouse, and Instagram. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast aggregator, and please consider leaving a review of the podcast as well. So today's topic is, should I take over the family business? And before I get into this, I'm going to apologize for publishing this a day later than we normally do. Um, just some, frankly, scheduling difficulties. It's uh, now that everybody's allowed to go back on vacation. Uh, I took for granted the fact that the people basically had nothing better to do, literally nothing better to do than to come on my podcast. And I got into a habit of not being aggressive enough in scheduling. And so this is coming out a day later than we normally do. I would normally just blame it on technical difficulties, but <laughs> I'm just going to own it and say I got into some bad habits. But but uh, this should be the only one that gets published late. And it's only a day late, so I'm, I'm sure everybody survived. Um, but today's topic, should I take over the family business? And, you know, it, it, th- this topic is kind of interesting from a, from a timing standpoint. About 15 years ago, we would read all over the place that there was going to be a, a, a massive wave of baby boomers handing off their businesses to Generation X and gasp millennials. Uh, and we thought for sure that that was going to happen, right? And everybody said, well, um, you know, the business brokers, M&A people, investment bankers are going to make a killing. Business appraisers like myself are going to make a killing. There's going to be this massive transfer of wealth. And kind of interesting, so, something interesting happened was really that nothing happened. I mean, it's still happening on a on a an ad hoc basis, but <clears throat> this wave of businesses that are being transferred just really has not happened 15 years later. And I think that's happening for a lot of reasons. I think it's happening, one, because people had a lot of ground to make up after the wealth they lost in the 0809 recession. Um, and I think the other thing that's happened is because because healthcare and nutrition have become so good is that a lot of people, frankly, have a lot of juice, they have a lot of gas left in the tank at age 65, and they don't necessarily want to go off into the sunset, um, you know, unless their health just starts to prevent it. But, you know, the reality is, and I'm, you know, I'm a big advocate for this, you know, this notion of retiring at 65, I mean, if you want to do it, can do it, great, but, 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 you know, our, our, healthcare technology and nutrition is able to keep vi- people viable for much longer. And that's happening with businesses. Um, and, and so the, the, the transfer of a business from one generation to another, 
I think is still a very special event and it's, it's, it's an important event. It's an important event because, you know, companies that are multi-generational, they're hard to come by because they're hard to do. And the track record of multi-generational businesses, frankly, is not all that awesome. Um, there's a term called shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves that wealth that's transferred in generation one is usually is 90% gone on average by generation three. And so, you know, the numbers are really stacked against generational, generational wealth really being, uh, being successful. Now in our particular, and that's why when, when I see a, a scenario under which generational transfer is somewhat successful, I think that's something to be highlighted because there are probably lessons that we can learn from it. And, and joining us today is a friend of mine who I've known a lot of years before he took over his company, actually, uh, is Dan Erling of Accountants One, which is a full-service accounting and finance recruiting firm specializing in direct hire and contract placements. Since 1973, they've been recognized as industry experts who align as trusted staffing partners with the organizations they serve. Their relationship-driven focus consistency, consistently leads to the highest rate of placement success in the industry. Headquartered in Atlanta, Georgia, Accountants One has the infrastructure in place to serve clients across the Southeast. Dan Erling is the president of Accountants One. He is in the Georgia Association of Personnel Services, Million Dollar Hall of Fame, and was recognized as one of Atlanta's up-and-comers by the Atlanta Business Chronicle. Under Dan's leadership, Accountants One was named one of Atlanta's best places to work. And, and I can see that. The things I observe him doing with his company are so are so fascinating and, and groundbreaking and, and authentic, I'm not surprised. Um, in fact, I steal a lot of his ideas. Dan is a creator for the Search for the South's Funniest Accountant. This combination fundraiser stereotype debunker has become an annual favorite in the accounting community, consistently bringing in over 800 people to cheer for funny accountants. So the search for accountants one has helped raise over a quarter of a million dollars for junior achievement of Georgia. I've got to do that one year. I'm not technically accountant, but I'm sort of accounting adjacent. And the funny thing is, by the way, for those of you who are listening, you think about can accountants be funny? Well, Bob Newhart started as an accountant, actually. He was a CPA before he moved over into that. Bob Newhart, even today, is still a laugh right. I mean, when he's on the Big Bang Theory, I set up and I set up and take notice. Dan wrote the book on hiring, literally. The book is called Match, a systematic, sane process for hiring the right person every time. The book details the uniqueness of their approach. And finally, Dan is a member with me of the Swedish American Chamber of Commerce. I think he's a Swedish descent. I am not. I'm just an interloper, but I like meatballs. Dan, welcome to the program. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. What, what, what an honor to be here today. I, I, I feel very, very lucky to be uh, talking with uh, one of Atlanta's cultural icons, the legend Mike Blake. Well, we'll change your mind halfway through the podcast, but All right, I, don't think you, I don't think you, I don't think you're too much of a flight risk. So, <laughs> um, so Accountants One was formed in, was founded in 1973. I didn't realize it was, it was that old. Yeah. Tell me the origin story. What's the What's the lore of the history of Accountants One? All right, quick quick story. My dad's a uh, jazz musician. He has me. He says, "Boy, I need to do something where I can make money," and so he becomes an accountant. Rides up the uh, the org chart. Really worked for mostly the same company as he went from senior accountant to regional controller, 
and then said, you know, I really am an entrepreneur at heart. I am that jazz musician. So when I was in high school, he bought a two-person bookkeeping search firm, started doing controller searches, and ran it for for years. Uh, So there's your origin story of Accountants One. And and yes, that, that's I forgot that your father was a jazz musician. I, I I can see that. Typically, jazz musician is not the the fast way to wealth. What did he play? Was it saxophone? No, his stand up bass. He was a stand up bass. bass. Okay, the upright bass. Yep. Um, yeah, and, and bass players don't make a lot in any, any event. Um, oh no, no. Unless you're Getty Lee of Rush, that's probably the, pretty much the only one I think. That's a so. good one. Sure. Um, when did you start to work in the business? All right, so. In my previous life, I've had two jobs. I was an inner city math teacher. I was the middle school teacher of the year um, at APS and loved the kids, loved that experience. I was there for eight years. But along the way, I recognized that I was I belonged in an entrepreneurial world and was working summers with my dad at the three-person recruiting staffing firm. And one summer when I I knew it was starting to become time where I went out and established myself, I went to him and said, Hey dad, uh, you know, I'd like to join you. Can I come to accountants one next year after I finished this group of, of children, I had promised that I would come back. And he said, yeah, but there'll be no nepotism here. And so in 1998, with a two-year-old and a four-year-old, I joined uh, Accountants One, and I've been here ever, ever since. Uh, It's been a great experience, and I I quickly became our our top sales guy, and now I'm I'm very lucky that I'm uh, the CEO. I'm 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 fascinated by the transition. I I can see why you'd be a teacher who would resonate with kids. And I, of course, that explains your junior achievement. Yes. Connection. Oh, absolutely. I still want to give back, especially we we've created a fund uh, or a a nonprofit to serve inner city youth. Yes. And, and and so, what was it about? I mean, that, that's such a big that's a big change, right? Mm-hmm. From APS into an, a, an accounting recruiting firm. What was it that you saw from outside and said, you know what, I want to do that. I want to drop what I'm doing that clearly had a lot of meaning for you. You're clearly a very dedicated teacher, I can tell by your voice. I just know how you're wired. What what did you see from afar that made you want to get involved in that? So, and and I, I've never looked at sales as trying to control people. I don't like the manipulative aspect of of sales, but I I did think, you know, if I can sell inner city kids on math and coming in here and being excited about doing math and that's fulfilling, what can I do from a, a, a sales standpoint in terms of bringing value to people as they change jobs? And so it was that sales aspect of, and and the best use of sales in terms of motivating people and helping them to achieve more and bringing true value that motivated me. So I'm going to go off the script here because I, I think that's I think that's so fascinating. 
you know, I speculate, and you tell me if I'm wrong. You know, I, I think when you're going to teach math to kids in APS, unless they're they're unusually motivated, I mean, isn't there a sales job in there somewhere too to get them engaged and get wanting to do the work and do hard things and and oh, grow heck. nerve endings? Yeah. Oh, I, this job is a lot easier than the job at APS. I mean, sell, <laughs> selling math to inner city kids is a that's a lifetime achievement. And and you know, I I really really respect teachers and always want to give back because. Trying to make that happen is not only so important for our society, but it's also so difficult and and hard to do on a day-to-day basis. So bless those teachers that that do it. I only did it for eight years. Now, most people I know who do what you do, that is recruiting and accounting, have an accounting background, Mm. I think anyway. Is, is, Is that accurate? And if so... Was it hard for you to kind of get in, learn the vocabulary, or maybe being an outsider made it easier? I don't know. You, you tell me. Well, so we're about half and half. We've got okay. big four CPAs on the team, and we've got people who really never did uh, accounting or, or finance. But in my case, I grew up with it, listening to my dad, understanding what he did. And, you know, if you do this long enough, I mean, you do not want me to do your books, but we probably can have a pretty deep conversation about mergers and acquisitions. We, we play CFOs all the time. I have got, a, you, you, you learn about how it all fits together, even though you're pr- probably not an expert in doing it. So how long did you work in the business until you started to have thoughts of, you know what? Hmm. I'd like to make a go of this when it's my dad's time to hang him up and move on. All right. So I, I went into this. I, I thought a lot about this interview and I decided that if people were going to get value out of this, I needed to come clean and to, to tell the real story. Thank you. So I, I hope that I don't later on regret anything that I'm about to say, because I, I just want to, if I can be, of help to anybody that's listening to this, I would be delighted. So the the answer to your question as to, you know, how did I make that decision was, I absolutely did not. And if I can help anybody to be prepared for that decision, then I would feel great. And I'd be delighted to talk to anybody who's, who's in this space. So in 2010, uh, I became the CEO for the worst reason, uh, and that is that my dad passed away. He I remember that. Completely. I mean, he, he was mowing the grass. He had a heart attack and the paramedics said he was dead in 30 seconds. Oh. So I went from sales manager to CEO in a day with, <laughs> we had just landed a major, major account, which had, a hundred contractors and we were trying to figure out how that my dad was working with a bank on how to figure that out. And this is 2010, which things were upside down uh, economically. We just had a collapse. The banks were falling apart. The bank, they were trying to figure out how to hold themselves together. And I wound up inheriting the company at just the, the worst time that 
one could ask for. And so I, I want to come back to that because I, I knew part of that story. I didn't, I didn't know it was literally just passing away mowing the lawn. Yep. Another reason I should never mow my lawn again. But um, no, no, it's a great reason to not mow your lawn. Uh, I would love that. Joke. Especially in the especially in the Atlanta heat. But um, yeah. you know, I, 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 if you'd had it to do over differently, what might you have done in terms of planning, or what what did you wish might have been done in advance that would have saved headaches down the road? It is so the the timing for this was perfect because what I am doing right now is what I wish that I would have done back then with my dad, which is clarifying everything. It is working with a lawyer. It is working with a CPA firm. It is discussing how the transaction should happen, the tax implications, getting people that are much smarter than I Right now, I'm working with a financial coach. My goal is that by the end of the year, and we're in a transitionary, uh, we're, we're in a transition right now. Let me explain that in a moment because I think this 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 is important. It's important to do it now, and it's important to do it in three years because the company will be in a much different spot. But I have set a goal of delivering to my financial coach, my CPA firm, my lawyer, and key people on the Accounts One team so that they're hearing what exactly our wishes are, how things are going to be turned over if, if I happen to pass away mowing my grass. This is what I wish that my dad and I would have done. I wish we would have been more disciplined to have gone through that process so that we had uh, documentation in place, so that it was clear instead of me inheriting all of these problems, all of these questions on top of the stress of losing your dad. So I, I just wanted to add that we also have plans for doing this in three more years because if your company is growing, I mean, if my company wasn't growing, I probably would be fine for a, a, you know, a 10-year plan. But we've already put into place some things where we know where we are now. We, we're going to have to re-look at this again in three years as the company changes. So, you know, no, knowing, knowing that story, I'm kind of reorganize my thoughts here a little sure. bit. Was it clear that you would be the one taking it over when that happened? In other words, was there anybody else in the company who thought, you know, I mean, Dan, Dan's great, but he's just in sales and I, I'm someone who's been here for 30 years or something. I really should be running the firm. I, I should be the obvious successor. I've been the number two. Frankly, were there other pretenders to the throne? No, no. <laughs> Good. I made because, it easier then. Well, in in this case, because nobody would have wanted that responsibility. And okay. I told you he was going to tell the truth. At my dad was an awesome businessman. He abs- he died at the wrong spot. And what did happen, and I'm just gonna again, I, I went into this saying I'm gonna share some things that 
are embarrassing, but if somebody can learn from them, I'm, I'm fine with it because I'm just going to say my dad was a guru businessman. I love my dad. He was an excellent dad and a great business partner. But because of the time that he died, the, he had connected because he was the, he, he was the sole owner of the company. Those that he had some real estate that was underwater because of 2010. It didn't have anything to do with him. That was connected to the business. So what I wound up inheriting, isn't this a wonderful inheritance, is a major debt. Because it's just like you know concrete galoshes here that are pulling you down. It, it, I, I think it is funny. The one disagreement that my dad and I ever had in business was, I don't want to be a, a, an owner of property. If you want to do it, go ahead. We did not think through the fact that if he died, what was going to happen was if those buildings were underwater, they would start to sink the company. My lawyer, my wonderful lawyer said, Dan, you should declare bankruptcy. No kidding. Because this isn't your fault. This is the fact, you know, this is just the way things are. It's tied to the those buildings. So... The answer to your question is nobody else would have been crazy enough to have wanted to inherit that organization at that time, which, by the way, I'm going to throw this out here right now. My dad would be incredibly proud of us. In fact, I I would say that I I just I was very honored. I'm, I'm going to say this because I want you to know where we started and I'm not a person, I'm a modest person, but I was just, uh, I won the award for most admired CEO in Atlanta in accounting uh, through the Atlanta Business Chronicle. And I say that because I want you to know where we've come from to where we've gone to and how proud my dad would be of that change and give anybody who... (laughs) I, I don't know many scenarios that could have been worse than the one that I'm painting. And if we, if you fight through them, then you can make it, but we would have been so much better off if we would have had more planning in place for the loss of my dad. So that, that brings me to something I really want to get into with you. And that is that I suspect and certain other clients that I've advised, they feel sort of a, uh, a push and pull of how much do you want to keep out of respect for the traditions of the firm? Uh, yeah. And how much do you want to make change? Because I'm, I'm younger. I'm closer to the younger generation. I have new ideas that maybe the other, the older generation was either reluctant to implement or really didn't even think about. Right. Did you have that tug of war? And if so, how did you, how did you make peace with that? Right. I I think that it is critical that best idea wins whether you're the son of the owner or not. And I think that that's the rule of our firm. That if, and I think that as a leader in the firm, whether you're the CEO or, or not, that it is imperative in a family business to make it clear that 
the one rule of the business is that even the son or the daughter can be fired if they're not good at their job. And if that's not in place, then you wind up with a weaker organization that can be dragged down by dumb ideas that are owned by somebody who has clout because they're a family member versus a great idea that brings value regardless of who you are. So I I just thought of the question I should have asked. So I'm going to ask it now, which is you paint a pretty bleak picture (laughs) of the business when you had a fall on your lap for better or worse. Right. Right. Um, why did you take it over? Was there, was there an alternative of declaring bankruptcy, trying to sell it, doing something else with it? Right. Why did you take it over? What was what was in your decision calculus to get you to that point? There's two reasons. One, number one, I love the job. Now, in, in fairness to me, I was the sales manager. That was the that was the responsibility that I wanted. I had two kids that I wanted to spend time with. I didn't want to be the CEO. So I loved the job. I just didn't have the, all of that responsibility. That was my dad's thing. So there was never any any reluctance in terms of loving the job. And then the thing that really motivated me to want to keep it going was the people that this organization serves. And as I looked at myself and the others, I knew it was the right thing to do to keep it going. So love of passion for the job and then love of people uh, motivated me to to keep it going. And a lot of the, gosh, there's very few people that were here then that aren't here now. So what what were some of the changes that, that you've made as a result of you taking you taking this over and running it. Well, so did you resist <laughs> making changes? First of all, was it hard to make changes? Well, especially when you didn't have any money. Yes, yes, it's a lot easier to make changes when you've got some money in the bank. It, yeah, so much fair. easier because because you can afford to make mistakes too, right? I yeah. mean, that is one of the one of the benefits of having some money in the bank. Um, but I, I, when I, this was a wonderful, flexible job that had great earning potential and the ability to be, to be flexible, to, to match with my, my schedule as I was taking care of my family. What happened after I became the CEO was we, we, I I realized that in order to scale it up, it needed more processes. So we added a COO. We added structure to the organization. We added a controller. We have a director of recruitment now. Uh, So a, a lot of structural changes. The biggest change would be the addition of a COO. That was our first executive that wasn't a salesperson. And the impact that Tom Capish, our COO, has had on the organization has been huge. And he's been just a great partner. And the reason that we've, over the past five years, we've increased threefold. We're now up to 40 people on the team. 
All of that has to do with Tom and the, some of the structures that he's put into place, but then also just adding great people to support the organization as a whole. I'll, I'll give you one, one cool thing that we've added to, to the, the organization yeah. as things have got, as you've had to get more sophisticated. Back in the day, when we when we would get a job, it would be you know a nice siloed recruiter working on that role. Now we have a whole project management system that where multiple people you have marketing and sourcing and a junior recruiter and a senior recruiter. How all of those people are interconnected? We have daily scrum meetings on our searches so that we can uh, identify where we are. That was unheard of, you know, in, 20, in 2010, not because, I mean, it wasn't because we were unsophisticated. It was just a simple system of an individual recruiter being able to meet the needs of multiple clients. We've come a long way because of the growth. So, yeah, you know, again, go, going back to the circumstances under which you I mean, literally inherited the company. Yes. What was? Did you ever have? Did you have any kind of mental fights with yourself in terms of, you know, can I do this? Should I do this? Because you were so unprepared for. I, I think you were so unprepared for it mentally. How how could you have been otherwise? Was was it hard to mentally wrap your head around? The, the magnitude of the responsibility you are now taking on and the learning curve that you had in front of you? <laughs> you, you know, I, I think I'm not a very smart person, which helps a lot in situations like this. <laughs> you have no idea what you're getting yourself into. So I think that was one of my strengths. If I would have known what I was doing, I'm not, I would never have done it. But it did I will tell you this, I now, I am such a better business leader because of all of the lessons that were learned through this and embracing those lessons. And I'm just going to say, wonderful team that I could rely on when things got really tough, wonderful family situation. My wife was very, very supportive. I, to this day, remember her saying, well, the worst thing that could happen is we would lose the house and we'd have to move into some kind of an apartment somewhere, but we'd still be together. When your wife says that, man, that gives you all of the intestinal fortitude needed to go fight the battle the next day. And I learned a lot about deep breathing exercises. <laughs> I'm serious. Yeah. That saved my Y'all, so many times I'm like, what? I got... I got the bank calling me. I've got, I've got clients calling me. I've got problems. All of these things. What do you work on? I learned how to do some deep breathing exercises that would get me through that, and then emerge from the from those that that exercise and know what the. Okay, let's just go solve this one problem. So. Um... When when you took over the business, did you feel like it was your business right away, or did you go through any kind of period where you felt like, you know, I'm just, I'm I'm sort of a caretaker, yeah. And, and if there was that sort of transition period, how long did it take you for you to 
really feel like the business was yours? It took me five years to rid myself of the debt. After the five years, I felt it was mine. Because, yeah, I, was, I, 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 went, I, I knew how to read a financial kind of okay. when I inherited the business. I sure know how to read a financial now. And I, I just big shout out to my CPA firm who really came in. CPA firms are so much help uh, in cases like this. This guy, he, he just really, really helped me to organize myself and run the business from an accounting standpoint. Um, so, uh, you know, you mentioned that 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 you changed some things. That the team oriented process. What what about things like 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 branding and and actually more more to the point. Here's the right question to ask. Okay. How how long did it take for people to get comfortable? looking at you as the face of accountants one CEO and, and, and not kind of referencing your father. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, I, I don't, I hope this doesn't sound like I'm bragging, but I, I, I was a, I was the sales leader of the organization already. That probably helped a lot. It helps a lot. Exactly. (laughs) Because I'm not, um, I'm not a one-dimensional sales CEO by by any means. Like meaning that you know, there some CEOs it's all about sales. For us it's about m- many things and sales is critical. I mean, you can't run business without sales. So, I uh, but coming out of the loss of my dad, sales was the most important thing. It was the thing that was going to keep our payroll running. It was going to keep us, you know, moving forward. So the fact that I was an expert in sales really helped with that transition from my dad being the CEO to me now being the CEO because I knew what right what but buttons to push on the sales side. Yeah, I you know, and I, I don't want to use the term it, it sounds lucky, but that's not quite the right term. I, th- I think that, I think that, that somewhere along the line, there was, there was just a good match that you happen to be what your company needed most because it was underwater from a debt standpoint. Yeah. Like revenue is the most important thing that, that wouldn't be the case in every <clears throat> scenario, right? You might've, if you'd been in a manufacturing company, operations might have been much more paramount, right? Or in some oh other my gosh, yes. some other area, like if you're running a software company, it's writing code, right? Or might be writing code that's paramount. So in, in a way, and I don't know if this is by design or by fate or maybe just a subconscious match, but it sounds like that, I mean, in a lot of ways, you had the right skill set in the right place at the right time. Whereas if you've been, maybe if you'd been a COO as opposed to a market facing person might've been a much more difficult path. Oh my God. So you said it, I, I, I'm, I'm going to just agree with you wholeheartedly, complete luck. That's why you're my favorite guest, but thank you. But do you know, do you, so, but luck, I, I, I can't believe how lucky we were so many times. There, there could have been things that, happened that would have taken us down. I have no idea how we made it through. There were several lucky things that all came together. But, you know, 
I, I talk to a lot of people in business that have been through tough times. Luck matters. I, I think Jim Collins talks about this all the time. The, the, the fortitude of luck. And I happen to be the right guy with the right amount of energy to get us through. And we've become an incredibly strong, true organization now because of what we've been through. Yeah, I really like I like that. And I, I've been a, a big proponent of of the role of luck in business as well. In fact, Scientific American published a great blog about two years ago that talked about an Italian research paper that talks about the role of luck in business and economic outcomes. That that doesn't absolve you of the responsibility to try to manufacture a better outcome. Yes. But but the real the reality is is that is that you know, who you're born to may give you a head start or not. Mm-hmm. Right? The country you're born in, are, are you born in a stable economy that respects rule of law and capitalism versus, I don't know, Somalia, right? War zone, right? There's luck involved in that. You can't deny there's luck involved in that. So I really like the fact that you that you acknowledge that because I think it shows, I think it, candidly, it shows a lot of self-awareness. And I think it, I think that's probably a big reason why you've become the admired, not to suck up to you, but it's just documented, right? You've become the admired CEO that you are is an acknowledgement that it's, it's really not about you and your brilliance and, you know, by sheer force of will, but my bare hands, like Paul Bunyan, I took no the way, thing. And right, made it. Exactly. I, I, th- I think that humility of the limitations of all our abilities, I, you know, I think that probably played a big role. No, thank you. Um, let me ask you this. I mean, since, you know, since your father had run that business, I'm doing the math in my head, mm-hmm. um, 33, 37 years, mm-hmm. right. Were there any clients, were there any people resources that simply couldn't accept you as the new CEO and, and decided that they needed to change their relationship with the firm? You know, you asked earlier what changes we made, uh, at accountants one. One change that we never have made is that this is a relationship-driven firm. And so the good thing, again, probably in the luck category is, is that we still have clients today that I knew when I was in high school because of the way my dad treated his clients and his candidates. So I, I don't think we lost a single client during that transition because most of them were my friends or they watched me grow up. So that was the benefit of my dad. And that is still the culture and the thing that we, we talk about all the time and we still have Bert's office here. We still remember Bert. We still talk about the way he did business. We've just added some levels of sophistication in how we deal with people, but we never forget that this is the people business. This is about connecting individuals and making a difference in their lives. And that was what my dad brought every day. And I was just lucky enough to be around. And so when it came time to me inheriting those relationships, it was really easy because I knew them and they were my friends. So, I mean, first of all, that's really cool. So you still actually maintain his office. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, you know, I think it's helpful. I've been to other offices where they've maintained the founder's office even after he's left, whether through retirement or or, or passing away. 
And um, I, I think that's important to sort of maintain that continuity. I think it's a good decision for what it's worth. Um, Thank you. I, I um, you know, you, you said something a couple of times. I'm, I'm going to go back and I'm going to, I'm going to offer an alternative viewpoint. Cause you said that you'd done no preparation. You weren't prepared to take over the business. But as you describe your experience leading up to it, I actually disagree with you. You may not have had, uh, in case my dad dies of a heart attack, mowing the lawn, break glass plan. Yeah. But the role, you know, number one, I'm sure he met, made goodness promise that he was not going to be easy on you because you were his kid. But right. number two, the, the, because he gave you the role or because you assumed the role that you did, you were getting on the job training for that role. You probably just didn't necessarily realize it as such at that point. I, I, I'm going to agree with you. I, 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 I'm not going to be a difficult host. I'm going to agree with you wholeheartedly <laughs> and say, yeah, you are right. And probably the most important thing is preparing you for, I, I, look, I've seen a lot of companies where the, the son inherits, inherits the company and is a terrible leader. I think, uh, gosh, I, I, I didn't mean to paint myself as different than that, but I'm just going to say, I think that the thing that my dad taught me was the day-to-day, the important parts of business. And certainly my, my message to anybody listening is, Work with an organization like Bradyware. Work with professionals like Mike to help prepare because it's already hard enough when that's, that inheritance happens. So the documentation, the tax implications, where the entity, uh, how, how the entity moves through the loss and how that succession planning works is it's so important to talk through with professionals and it will just make the job easier. So even somebody who was prepared as, as I was in the nuts and bolts of the business, I, I had a lot of time heart. I had a very difficult time working through that because those pieces that the documentation, the clarity was not there. Does that make sense? Did I make no, that yeah, no, it, it does. It does. Um, okay. And, and, pro, you know, a much different outcome than if say, I mean, they don't really have mail rooms anymore, but if they did, if you've been working in the mail room, right, just to give you a job, you would not have any, you really would not have had any preparation, True. right? And probably a different outcome. We're talking with Dan Erling, who is president of accountants one. And the topic is, should I take over the family business? And I want to ask you something about, about, about your title. Because I noticed that it's not CEO. I noticed that it's not managing partner, whatever, Grand Poobah. Is your dad still the CEO in your mind? And you're, and you're president? Uh, or am I getting too psychological here? I, I think, yeah, yes. I, I think I'm the president and the CEO. I, and I think Bert would be extremely, extremely proud that I'm wearing that. So... Given what you've learned, I know you're you're doing some long-term strategic planning, so good for you. And your firm will obviously, will, will of course, benefit from that. In your strategic planning, are, are you thinking now about your children potentially being involved in the family business and, and paving the way for a path for them to assume your role as owner, co-owners, what have you, 
when that time comes? That's a, a great, a great question. Um, I, my, my philosophy with my kids was to uh, uh, allow them the space to make their own decisions. And they've both done just an exceptional job. One is a, a nuclear engineer and the other one is an underwater welder. And so I don't see them coming back, which is fine. I, 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 I love them dearly and I just wish them the best and want them to establish themselves as, as they want, uh, as, as they want to define themselves. So I've never given them any pressure, uh, and never, uh, have I expected them to want to be part of the organization. Um, Dan, this has been a, a great conversation, but I want to be respectful of your time. In case somebody wants to ask a question that it, we didn't ask you go deeper on something that we did, um, would you be willing to make yourself available if they want to follow up with you? And if so, what's the best way for them to contact you? Probably the best way to get in touch with me is through LinkedIn, and it's just Dan Erling. I, I, I enjoy the, the, the LinkedIn uh, format, and I will certainly respond and uh, would be would be delighted to start conversations there, or you can reach me at dan at accountantsone.com or call me at the office, 770-395-6969. Thank you, Dan. Um, that's going to wrap it up for today's program. And I'd like to thank Dan Erling so much for sharing his expertise with us today. We'll be exploring a new topic each week. So please tune in so that when you're faced with your next business decision, you have clear vision when making it. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a review with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us so that we can help them. If you would like to engage with me on social media with my chart of the day and other content, I'm on LinkedIn as myself and at Unblakeable on Facebook, Twitter, Clubhouse, and Instagram. Once again, this is Mike Blake. Our sponsor is Brady Warren Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast. <laughs>